This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Proverbs 26, 21. Proverbs 21, 19. And remember, why we are standing is because this is God's word and we stand in respect to that. Proverbs 26, 21. Charcoal is to hot coals as wood is to fire. So also is a quarrelsome man fuels strife. Proverbs 21, 19. Better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. Amen. You may be seated. But it's just, that's how we end every scripture reading. And all of a sudden it takes on a new life when... I guess so. One of the things that um, burdens me as a, a, a pastor is the continued eroding of what the church actually is. And this is, here's, here's what I would mean by that is I don't mean by how people see the church. I mean by how we see the church. This week I get an opportunity to talk to a group of uh, pastors across the city, and, and one of the things that, that we're going to be talking about is, is the church a family or is it a business? Because if it is a family, it would mean something totally different. So we could talk to pastors, but let me, let me talk to you. Is this church a family? Is it your family? Or is it just something you do on Sunday morning? Because if it is, Scripture will not make sense to you. Won't make sense to you. Because the priorities of business are different than the priorities of family. And when you realize this, you begin to realize that what wisdom is, is not about what the law is about. The law is to create something totally different. It's to create a civil society. But wisdom is not through the law or through information. Wisdom does not come through information. It's not obtained through information. Wisdom is someone you are in relationship with. We read Proverbs and you see this father speaking to his son, relation, and he personifies wisdom in chapter 9 and in different places. He personifies wisdom by calling wisdom this woman in which calls you into her house to sit at her table to eat with, and she's prepared these things for you, to sit at a table, to walk through life, to do life together. But folly wants to stand at the entrance and just yell things out at you and give you a bunch of information. Wisdom in Scripture is also embodied like the Word becomes flesh and dwells among us. God didn't give us just 
a word. He wrapped that word in flesh. He embodied it in Christ. And the only way we can know God is by knowing Jesus, the person of Jesus. And that is why when we see in James when it says, if you lack wisdom, where do you go? You go to God. You go to wisdom himself and you ask him. You see, wisdom is not obtained in the same way information is. That's why it's frustrating to an information age to say something like you could have tons of information and no wisdom. Wisdom frustrates the information age. It frustrates us, frustrates those who depend on education, it frustrates those who like to think they know more than everybody else, because wisdom will not be obtained through those things. It's actually not obtained through easy answers or quick judgments. One thing about wisdom is it will frustrate you if you want an easy answer or a quick judgment. Because wisdom is obtained not by trying to figure out what is right and wrong, but by knowing the Father's heart and how we should apply His heart, how we should live out as His family and live into what it is His desire and His heart. Wisdom will frustrate us because what we want is, I want to know the answer, I want to know if I'm right, and I want to know what's the judge. What does God say about this? And we don't want to sit at His feet and know Him. Wisdom in Scripture is primarily given for us to navigate relationships. I think it's, it's, it's interesting that most people start talking about wisdom in relationship to how to spend money. I just need wisdom. Should I buy this or should I not buy this? <laughs> should I do this? Should I not do this? I just need wisdom on how to take care of my money. When the vast majority of Proverbs is a father helping his son deal with relationships. We only seek wisdom when we want to know how to use money or gain money. The reason why texts like this become difficult is because we want to see this as kind of a rule set or how to deal with people like this, or how to walk through this, when it, it has to be placed in the context of family. And here's, here's what I, I want us to hear. I, I know that I have personally never had the privilege of punching somebody directly in the face. Now, I've dreamed of it, longed for it, but I didn't want to get hit back, you know. I've, I've, I've met people that I've wanted to, right? But I've never done it, regretfully. 
I just want to know how it feels. Wayne's told me he, he, he's had the privilege. Um, me, myself, no. Part of it is because I took on a different tactic. I, if somebody would, I did have some people get up in my face and threaten it, and then I would be able to kind of talk my way out of it. Um, but I did enjoy, because of me wanting to live vicariously through others, when I saw a fight happening, I would be the guy on the side in high school who would kind of, ooh, you going to let him say that? Oh, for real? Oh, man, I would never, I would never let him say that about my mom, right? Like, I, I would never let him say it, but I, but I, I just want to kind of fan the flame. I, I, I don't want to do the damage myself, but I, I definitely want to see it. There's something about watching it or fanning it, especially when I don't have anything on the line or when it's not said about me. And, and here's, what, here's what you can see in those, those moments is that's out of the context of real family, because I, I never do that with my kids. And, and let me just say this, just so you, a father that does instigate fights is not a good father. I, I, I look at something like this and realize a couple of things. One is if you are wondering what a healthy family looks like and you think that healthy families don't fight, then you don't understand healthy families because every healthy family fights. They do. Because there are things worth fighting for and about. Every family fights. It's a normal part of family life. But... There's also, in the context of family, y'all have somebody in your family, maybe, I'm not saying mine does, I, I'm also not saying we don't, because I don't want to call it, but you all know in the family, that one who kind of likes fighting a little too much. And at the center of every family fight, they, they tend to be there. They're the ones who like nagging, agitating, dramatizing. They're the ones when you walk and are driving to the family event or you're, you're in the car and you're like, now kids, they're going to say stuff to kind of ag you on. Don't fight back this time. They're the ones you have to pre-warn. They're the ones that when you get on Facebook, you either hide them because you don't want to unfollow them, or you just, whenever you see their name, you just roll real quick through, right? There's a reputation that some people have of, of wanting to fight. Social media has given them a platform 
Before, you know, they just yell at family events. Now they put it for their 50 followers to see, too, you know, and you just happen to be one of them. George Bernard Shaw says this, never wrestle with a pig because you'll both get dirty, but only one of you likes it. The reality is, when you get in fights with people who enjoy fighting, it's no longer a fight. Now, it's their pleasure at your expense. What is the problem with this kind of person? Well, if you look at our society, nobody can really find a problem with this kind of person because this kind of person, if you look at the society that we're in, we live in an individualistic society where everyone believes that what's most important is for them to be heard. I want my voice to be Amongst all the other voices. I don't mind everybody else shouting out as long as I can shout louder. In an individualistic society, the priority is the individual. But in a family, it's a whole different set of priorities. In a family, the individual is part of something bigger. And the family has a priority that is rooted in the Father's heart for the family to walk in unity and love and harmony with one another. Now, there is no way that we can look out in our world around us, and because I see Christians doing this all the time, and look at our nation and go, man, we should just all walk in unity. We should just all walk in love. We should just all walk in that. And, and we're assuming that without Christ, we can do that. We are not a family out there. We are a part of a society, and society has to settle for something far less than family. Family wants unity. Society wants civility. Just be civil. Don't unite. Just be civil. That's all they can hope for. That's all the law can enforce. Just be civil. Family wants love. Society wants tolerance. My heart would break if my kids just tolerated each other. Because that's far less than what I want for them. I want them to love each other. In their uniqueness, in their diversity, in their differences, in their extreme differences that my kids are completely different. And if they just tolerated each other with an underseating of, I cannot wait to get away from them, my heart would break. You see, the aim 
of covenant and family is different than the aim of why we make contracts and institutions. You have to see that the aim of our Father is far different than just creating a group of people who get together and sing songs and, and, and listen to a good motivational talk and then go away and just tolerate each other. The aim of our Father is that in our uniqueness, how He's created us individually and how He's given us unique gifts and how He's given us even different backgrounds and perspectives and, and different ways in which we've seen things and walked through things, in the midst of that, He would call us that in His family, we should walk in love and unity. Matter of fact, the last prayer of Jesus, Lord, as we are one, Father, as we are one, let them be one. Can I just say why some of the preaching of the church in division in this world around us, the divisiveness of everything that's happening, you literally have to be blind to think that there's not division in the world we live in. The reason why we have lost our voice is not because we're not saying the truth, it's because we're not living it. We have no family to point to. Talk about caring for the poor. Scripture talks about caring for the poor, the marginalized, the weak, the broken. Then why is your church only full of rich and privileged and powerful people? Talk about racial reconciliation. Then why is your family just white? You got a good message. But it's harder to live it out. The Father is calling us to be a family. The heart of the Father is calling us to live united. And there are many people, not out there, but who call themselves a part of his family, including myself. I have caused division. I have caused I have caused issues. I have seen those. But as my heart has grown more for the heart of the Father, I have grown in maturity in ways. But I still realize that there have been times that I have been 100% right and a 100% jerk. There have been times that I have proclaimed the grace of God and have had zero grace. You see, fighting is not the issue, church, because every family fights. Matter of fact, if there's not healthy fighting, it means we're not fighting for the right things. That, that, that means we're not willing to enter into, that means we're cowards because there are things worth fighting for. But fighting for the sake of unity, fighting for the sake of what God's heart is, fighting for the sake of not us being right, 
but being one. Is different than fighting because we like to fight. Or fighting because we want to be right and we care more about ourselves than we do anything else. Or fighting over foolish fights. Hear me what I mean by foolish fights because scripture talks about these kinds of foolish fights. Matter of fact, these quarrels that are foolish are mostly just basically this. You're distracted by fights that don't matter so you can give yourself an excuse for not entering into the real fight. You're fighting over foolish things so you don't have to fight over what the Father wants us to fight for. The world we live in is filled with this reality. But God is calling us to something far richer. The Father is calling us to a real war. The Father is calling us to not foolish quarrels, to not even enjoying the fight, but to the most important thing in which he died for. Reconciliation. Unity. Love. Because our Father is willing to fight through anything. See, our Father is not a coward. He's not standing and watching people being abused and victimized and go, well, I just don't want to be in a fight. Our Father is not afraid of the fight. He's willing to sacrifice and make himself extremely uncomfortable, not even for something that is his own gain, but but something that that promotes unity and harmony, rooting out evil and, and, and giving his own life and sacrificing himself, laying himself down. He's not running from a fight. But there, no, if you're, if you're a parent, you realize most of the fights that you walk in on with your children are, they're dumb. Those quarrels they're dividing. I I want to care as a father about the unity and love and care, but they they want me to care about a piece of bread. I mean, I literally was sitting at the table and watched one of my kids pop the other kid in the face because they took a piece of bread out of the other kid's hand, right? Like you're going, really? You know what I'm saying? Like, 
I'll get you another piece of bread, right? We are not in lack. Matter of fact, I got a bun. I'll, let me throw this bread everywhere, right? I'm raining bread. I don't care about bread. That was dumb, right? That was selfish. That was prideful. That was a quarrel that is distracting from the real unity. Yeah, but that was my bread. No, it's all my bread. You own no bread. Take your, those clothes, those are mine. Take, you, you own nothing. Nothing's yours. Church, it's cute when kids are doing it, but when grown-ups When grown-ups are publicly fighting with one another, and the reason why you publicly fight amongst each other is so that you can determine by public opinion who won the fight. Who got the most likes? Who got the most, man, that was good what you said. Who rallied the best sides? The family lost, but you won. James chapter 4. Let's read this and we'll, we'll land the plane. James chapter 4 says this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Question mark. This, remember, this is a father speaking to a spiritual son speaking to this church. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Do they come from your desire, that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasure. Here's the question. Why do you fight? And then he answers it in such a weird way. Here's why you fight. You're actually fighting because you're not going to God. And the reason you're not going to God, who is the Father, is because you know he's not going to give you what you want. And the reason he's not going to give you what you want is because you only care about yourself and not the family. Your fights are rooted in your selfish desires and you have wrong motives and you don't desire the Father's heart. That's why you're not asking him because you know what he'll say. He'll say, you're selfish. So what do you do? Just like most fights, is I want attention. And I'm going to cause fights so that I can get what I want because I know the Father's not going to get it for me because the Father looks past what I'm saying and looks at my heart and knows my motives. And if I come to the Father and talk about his kid, look at what they're doing. 
Look what that kid is. He's going to go. Really? I know my kid. And I know you. Your fights with your brothers are primarily rooted in your anger towards God. And your anger towards God is rooted in your selfish desires. That you want your way and not his way. When somebody likes fighting, it's because they like, they like attention. And the reason they want attention is they want to be self-righteous rather than imputed righteousness, God giving them his righteousness. They want their own will rather than his will. Here's the good thing about our Father is he shows us our disunity is rooted in our disunity with him. Because there's nothing that the Father goes, that's their problem. The Father goes, this is my issue. This is an issue between me and you. You can't love God and hate his children. You can't. You are either one who loves God and loves his people, and knowing that a good father is not going to give you your way, but he's going to go after his way, which is unity and love and harmony and peace, because that's in that is life. So with all that in mind, it leaves us who love answers with great frustration, because many of us in this room are probably facing contention, quarrels, fights, struggles, brokenness, society at large, maybe even in our own family, and there's just nonstop maybe contention around us, and we want to know today, pastor, tell me, how do I deal with all these contentious people? And there's a tension in in, 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 in information age to think that I can say, well, here's how you deal with it rather than going, wisdom is going to take a lot of time to just work through each relationship because here's what I want you first to hear. You could be dealing with one fight and another fight and both of them could require completely different wisdom to be applied. Don't treat every source of contention the same. You must go to the Father, meaning there may be those that you are in contention with who are not even children of God, so don't deal with it as a family fight. Like, you don't fight with those outside of the family the same way you fight with those inside the family. The kind of way you fight against enemies, the Father shows us. Those who are enemies, love your enemies. Pray for your enemies. But with the family, there's a completely different set. So here's some just pastoral wisdom, and I hope I give you zero answers. Zero. But I hope 
this forces you to run to the Father. And if you are afraid to go to the Father in prayer, remember this. The issue is not between you and your brother. The issue is between you and your father. If you're afraid to pray, there's something wrong. Because you know he's going to show you something in you, not in them. First place, pastoral wisdom. Start with the log in your own eye. Know this, if you go to the Father, before he points you at their problem, he'll point you to your problem. The log in your own eye, because it actually gives you better perspective. Here's, here's what I mean by that. What, what fighting we have to do in the world when we're fighting, when you see the kind of world around us, we have to characterize our enemy and make them worse than they actually are so that we can dehumanize them enough to kill them. That's why you see a lot of, they think this way, they think this way, and we, we focus on their problems rather than in a family, in the family of God, we start with the log in our own eye because it softens our heart towards our brother's. It actually helps us see more clearly and deal with it more accurately. Scripture says if you start with the log in your own eye, you see more clearly to help deal with your brother's speck in their eye. Second is this. Go to your father first rather than trying to rally a group of brothers and sisters who have your side. Go to your father first. I mean, go to him in prayer. Go to your father first. Rather than trying to go get people on your side. Ask for the Father's heart, the Father's will. Ask for the Father to show you the heart for the person, for your brother and sister. Because here's what you need to hear. You don't need somebody who hates that brother and sister just as much as you do. You need a Father who loves both of you equally to help you navigate through this. Because here's what's good about a father. A father loves both of you. Could that be why we don't go to our father? Because we want him to be just as mad at them as we are. He's not justifying what they have done, but he is saying, I love them. Third is this, application is difficult. And this is why when people come to me, I struggle with giving application because application could be so different for every situation. Meaning, if I'm going after the father heart, the father could tell me, look, we've looked at this situation, we prayed through you. The father could say what? Something like, you know what? You all need to just separate for a while. And uh, it's better to be in a desert <laughs> than in that house. It's better for you to defriend and unfollow and stay away from than constantly be in contention. It's better to separate. Or he could say, you don't get to separate as much as you, you really love to. You need to go confront. You need to go stay in it. You need to fight through it. You need to, because every person, every situation, every relationship is completely different. 
And when you lay over this and go, every time, this is what I do. Every time. That, that, that's just not how the Father speaks. Sometimes he's going to lead you to confront. Other times he's going to lead you to separate. But inside of that... You have to determine what success is because here's what I see happen often. When you enter into working through relationship for the point of reconciliation, that's always the Father's heart, reconciliation. And we don't know, always know what that looks like, but here's what reconciliation, when we're going for that, we're going into it with saying success is this. Success is obedience, not what the other person does. Let's just be honest. When we go and apologize, we're expecting them to apologize back. I'm sorry for what I did. Your turn. And success is when they say, I'm sorry too. Rather than the fact that you just obeyed what you were supposed to do. We base our success on outcomes. That's what businesses do, right? If we did this, we got this much profit, that's success. In family, it's not about outcomes, it's about obedience. Did I do what the Father told me to do? Not did the other person do what the Father told them to do, but did I do what the Father, did I humble myself? Did I, I turn from my wickedness? Did I walk away? Did I live in that way? That is the questions we should be asking because what we have to see is this, is when it comes to a place of discipline, because part of being in a family is discipline. If you, if you go to a real church, I will say this, part of being in a real church is there's real discipline. We don't see that much in churches anymore, and if it is, it's, it's, it's mostly done in places where, uh, you know, where it's just let them go, let them take off whatever they, they do, because we're, we're, it's like hiring and firing. It's more of like, a corporate setting. But in a family, discipline is not just inflicted by a child. Now, here's, here, here's what we have to see. Like, if I see one of my kids disciplining one of my other kids, uh, I go, that's not your place. You don't see clearly to discipline because you're doing it out of your own. If you're in the middle of a family fight and you are the one who is in the fight with somebody else, don't try to inflict discipline yourself. Go to, this is what Matthew 18 says. This is what 2 Corinthians says. It says, go to those who are spiritual or go to those who are in authority. Go to those who are a part of the family. Bring that to them and let them navigate through what discipline looks like. Because if you're trying to inflict discipline on your brother and sister, it will always be motivated by something other than love. Don't inflict discipline yourself. Involve others. It's communal. It needs to be for the sake of reconciliation. Last thing is this, and then we'll pray. If you are the person, you're like, man, I don't know very many people who are contentious. Might be you, you know? If you look around in your life and all you see is a bunch of broken relationships and you've spent all of your time really just talking about how messed up everybody else is, you may need 
to hear this text today as not how do I deal with contentious people, but how do I repent from being contentious? Because what you need to hear is this. If the Spirit of God is showing you this, because I know you won't just hear it from me, but if the Spirit of God is showing you this, you need to listen to people who love you. Listen, it's hard enough to determine whether or not you're contentious. Because when somebody get, when you get in fight mode, you're just defending yourself, attacking. But there are people who really love you, who are not trying to destroy you, but are trying to help you. And could just write you off and kind of walk away from you. But God has called them in love to bear with you and to call you to the gospel. Listen to them. Listen to those who love you. Not those who are trying to destroy you, but those who love you. And look around. Be self-aware. If there are so many broken, contentious, fighting relationships all around you and you have nothing healthy to, to look at, you probably need to go to somebody who has healthy relationships and go, can I watch yours? Can I look in? Can I learn? Learn from others. The Father's heart is for us to live in unity. Isn't it amazing that even when we come to the table, Scripture tells us to do something before we come. It actually says, before you go to the altar, before you come to the table, do you have any brothers or sisters that you are refusing to forgive? You're refusing to live in unity and harmony with? Scripture actually says before you go, you should go and reconcile those relationships and then come to the table together. Actually saying, more important than you partaking of this, God is putting priority on your relationship with your brother and sister, his children. They're going to know we are his family. Not by how much information we've gained from this book and not by how much tithe we've given every Sunday and not by just prayer, although all these things are a part of being a part of a family. They're going to know that we are his children by the unity and the love, by the love we have for one another. They're going to go, wow, I can see the spirit of the Father dwelling amongst us. Church, I, I'm going to ask you to just pray. Go to the Father. Ask Him if there's things in you that you should be repenting of, walking in, praying for unity. How can I embed myself even deeper in family and, and community, the people of God? Give me wisdom to how to navigate through the things I should fight for and the things I, I shouldn't. Show me how to walk these things out because this is hard. Sometimes I should, sometimes I shouldn't, sometimes I... Well, there's no answers, it seems. You got something better than an answer. You got the Spirit with you. You have the Father leading you. You have help. You have power. 
Go to him. So today, before we come to the table, spend time in prayer. And then come to the table. And remember that he's done all the work for our reconciliation with the Father. And he's done and paid the highest price for us to be reconciled with him and with one another. The work's been done, church. Let's receive this with gladness. Partake together around this table. Let's live in unity, peace, love. Let's be a display of what it means to be the family of God. The tables are open. Let's pray and worship together. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.